Welcome to the Cheshire Police Federation podcast, sponsored by Number One Copper Pot Credit Union. Number One Copper Pot Credit Union is here to help the police family financially. It's free to join and offers easy access savings, loans and mortgages, all direct from your payroll, making it easier to manage your money. Lots of members use Number One Copper Pot to save for events such as Christmas or holidays, or simply to build a rainy day savings fund. To find out more or to apply to join, Visit number1copperpot.com. Hello, everybody. This is episode four of the Cheshire Police Federation podcast in collaboration with Number One Copperpot Credit Union. I'm your host, Andrew Simpson, and if you're hearing my voice for the first time, then welcome and thank you for joining us. However, if you've returned after listening to a previous edition, then it's great to have you back. I'd also like to ask you a small favour at this stage. Share with us what you think of the podcast so far. Even better, write a short review or leave us a rating with your chosen podcast provider. Doing so will help us to grow in the future. Now, I'm going to start today where we left off last time, and that's on the subject of well-being. If you haven't had an opportunity to listen, then we talked specifically about men's mental health in the police force, why it's different to other groups, what are the obstacles to officers seeking help, and finally, what can we do better moving forward and at this point I'm going to bring in Jamie Thompson the uh, branch chairman how are you doing Jamie good morning you okay yeah I'm really well I'm really well um do you want to tell us a little bit kind of what the response has been to the episode that we did last month yeah it's, it's been really positive um we, we've had a number of people contact us and, and thank us for uh, addressing the topic a word that was used a number of times by people was was stigma um, and and the fact that we um, had attempted to sort of break down some of those stigmas uh, and and actually bring the topic to to the forefront and and have that open discussion. Um, We've also had a lot of people um, recognising some of the things Tony said around informal space and being able to to sort of speak more freely uh, around issues of mental health in, in a less formal environment. So, so it's certainly given us some, some food for thought and, and it's, it's, it's shaping some of the things we're going to do around wellbeing in the future. Something you think we'll, we'll revisit then. But obviously, we talked about it, didn't we, about you never quite know how a topic like that is, is going to go down. So um, you must be really made up to have had that, that initial good reaction. Yeah, it's it's been really really positive, um, and and I think I felt it was the right thing to do. I felt it was the right topic to to cover at the right time, off the back of Men's Health Week, and it, it's certainly something that we will uh, we will re- revisit in the future, uh, alongside other things also. Of course, and and I think this is a an opportune moment to introduce our our guest for this month's episode. David Keane is the Police and Crime Crime Commissioner for Cheshire, a job he has done since being elected four years ago, and he joins us today on Skype. Hello, David. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for, for joining us. And I know that um, well-being and, and officer well, welfare and, and, and the mental health of, of officers that um, are on duty in, in Cheshire is something that's been kind of high on, um, on your agenda, um, not just recently, but, but for a while. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you think that's important and why it's something that we need to be uh, not just only addressing, but something that we all need to kind of be wary of? It's um it's a really important issue and for me it's right at the top of the agenda because I think the role of the, the organisation or Cheshire Constabulary has to be to make our people the best they can be in order to keep our public safe. So it's absolutely vital to the job. I suppose some of my uh, some of my thoughts on this would be around how things have changed maybe over the last decade. And I talk about this in the general pressures of life, private lives, 
uh, community life, uh, as well as the job uh, that people are in. And for me, you, you know, the support that's required from, from that's really changed as the nature of the job's changed over the last decade. You know, I think at one point uh, this was viewed in very much simply a, a physical way. Yeah. Um, I realise very much talking to our teams on a regular basis um, that these kind of three main points for me in terms of support and, and physical will always be there in terms of health. But the kind of interconnections with mental health uh, and actually financial health, because I understand the pressures that that financial pressures and stresses can put on us as individuals before we even turn up at work. Yeah. I can also understand how physical uh, health issues uh, have an impact on mental health. Uh, I understand how mental health issues have an impact on, on physical health. And for me, there's two main points to this. The first one is how we look after each other. And we can look at things we've really prompted, like the, the Ask Twice campaign, but there's a much bigger issue that goes beyond just kind of peer-to-peer -peer support. And that's our kind of occupational health provision. This is how we look after our people to be the best they can be in themselves and the best they can serve our public. And actually, policing and its pressures has changed tremendously in the last decade. The kind of things we expect officers to do, uh, often in lower numbers, I've realised that we've we've we basically got to completely change our offer in terms of occupational health support. Uh, that has got to look at physical, mental, financial. It's got to be geared towards prevention as well as trying to help people recover from the issues. Uh, that requires a cultural change and it requires okay. an offer of support change. Do you, do you expect then this to be something that's going to be a priority for for a while yet something because we talked about cultural change doesn't happen quickly something we did talk about on the on the episode last month so you expect this to be something that's at the forefront of everybody's mind in in policing certainly for the foreseeable future well i do and i think because we've um you know the chief constables in, uh, introduced the we care principle uh, i'm regularly pressing the chief on on the matter of show me and one of the things we're looking at at the moment uh, actually, we've already invested in, in additional counselling and psychological support uh, to back the current occupational health offer. But something we've been consulted with the Federation, Unison and the Supers Association on is a new occupational health system from 2021. Okay. Uh, what that needs to include to be uh, the, the best occupational health in the country on a gold standard and what we really need to consult about and decide upon is where that focuses and what that includes. What are the current issues, what people are currently suffering with, why people are currently going off. And we've got to directly focus on the response to every one of those issues to look after our people. OK, um, just to move on, but but not in an unrelated way. One thing that contributes to the morale of those in any workplaces is, is recognition for what they do and, and police officers are among those public sector workers in England who will receive an above inflation pay rise specifically of 2.5% from uh, September. It's less than the Police Federation for England and Wales asked for but has broadly been welcomed as a step in the right direction. Um, Jamie, if I come to you next, uh, is it enough? Um, put simply, uh, no, we, we asked for 5%. 
um, and there was evidence to, to show why why we felt we deserve five percent. You know, we we've as have all the public sectors, we've suffered under austerity. Um, and police pays now it's still eighteen percent below what it was uh, ten years ago. Um, and I appreciate we're in difficult times, uh, and it's very hard to have this discussion without perhaps sounding greedy. Um, but I do think that the 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 five percent that we asked for was was fair. Um, it was evidence based, um, and whilst I appreciate that the government have um, sort of met the the recommendations of the peer review body, it, it isn't what we asked for. And, and because of um, pay freezes in the public sector over the past decade, which is which has been reported on a lot elsewhere, we're in, we find ourselves in a situation will. Will wages ever catch up? Do you do you have optimism that we can reach that point? But one of the concerning things for, for me was um, the, the 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 pay increase was announced, and the following day, the the chancellor, as as the lecturer said, that uh, essentially next year there's there is going to be public sector austerity, so we're almost taking two steps forward and, and ten steps back potentially. Um, so we we're not going to get back to where we were if we continue with this rate. David, can can I bring you in here? What was your response? Um, to the announcement initially? Well, in isolation, a 2.5% increase uh, does sound attractive, uh, but Jamie's rightly assessed there. Um, public services have fallen behind in real terms by between a fifth and a third over the last decade. So in isolation, yes, it's a good annual pay increase. What we need to see is a promise of annual pay increases on a longer term basis to put public service workers who put themselves at risk and danger every single day to have a fair pay packet. So on, on, on an isolated basis, yes, I can see if this was year on year, it would be welcome. Uh, we need a long term commitment to this, not a short term fix uh, that we're expected to be grateful for, uh, given the long term picture. It simply isn't good enough. And related to that, if, if the cost of pay rises must be covered from already allocated budgets, might that present particular challenges as well? It certainly does, because if you think that um, almost 80% of local police forces budgets uh, are made up of staff pay, you've got to consider that if they are to achieve a 2.5% rise, uh, which again, uh, I agree with and I agree with on a longer term basis. It's got to uh, it, it's got to be on an annual basis. That does require more investment in policing because you're, you're recognised with that huge part of the budget that's took up in pay. If that whole budget from the government doesn't increase, the only options left to local budget setters, as myself and the chief constable, is to either have less staff or less police officers. There isn't really another option. Yeah, um, which is which is which is not a great a great dilemma to have. Just just to finish on this, Jamie, what, what feedback have you had from from members on this so far? What have they said? Um, I, I think people are grateful that that we have got a pay rise. You know, we, we're the, the country's in a strange, the whole world's in a strange place at the moment. Um, but I think it's it's not lost on everybody that that we asked we asked for more, and certainly those of us who've been in the police for a long time. We see month on month how how this pay cut over the past ten years has affected us. You know the cost of living is is risen. That's not slowed down yet. Our wages have, uh, and 
we, we talk about financial well-being and, and there's definitely been a shift in the last few years that, that more and more officers are struggling. Um, you know, we've seen that from the results of the, the, the pay morale survey. A lot of our officers don't have enough money to, to make ends meet at the end of every month and they're not living lavish lifestyles. Um, so it, I, I think there's, there's a mix there of people. I mean, there's, there's some parts of the the, the um, pay award which have been welcomed, like the removal of the, the bottom um, sergeant's pay scale. Um, that, that is something that, that we would welcome. But I, I would just urge that the pay review body in following years looks at the evidence uh, and looks at the evidence that, that's presented to them and is not influenced by, by the government on this. I mean, any statement confirming pay rises, uh, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak hailed, and I quote, the vital contribution public sector workers make to the country. Now, another way of acknowledging that might be how we respond when they are attacked. And only last week... As we record this podcast, the man from Widness was jailed for a year as punishment for punching two female police officers in the face and, and, and dragging one of them along by their hair. Um, by coincidence of time, in a few days earlier, the government had started a consultation on whether the maximum jail term for criminals who assault police officers and other emergency service workers uh, should be doubled. Uh, David, is 12 months a suitable deterrent for these offences at the moment? I think it's a really good question about the uh, assaults on emergency service workers uh, legislation, which I supported from the from the very start as a private members bill. We must remember this wasn't on the government agenda. Uh, for me, it's obviously not enough. Uh, an assault on any one of our officers or any emergency service workers is an assault on us all. It obviously doesn't put people off taking this action. When I've looked at the outcomes of, of, of COVID situations to see in officers spat at, coughed at, uh, seriously assaulted whilst going around uh, about their business uh, and while trying to keep us safe and, and enforce the law, it obviously isn't a strong enough deterrent. Uh, I do raise this matter with the whole criminal justice system uh, where I chair the local criminal justice board, uh, you know, with the CPS, with the courts. Um, and with uh, our wider services, uh, probation, etc., uh, it isn't enough. And I have responded to the, the government consultation. Um, and I think that the um, my big push there is to is to look at the the possibility of doubling uh, that sentence, uh, which in this case would have potentially made this a two year sentence. Uh, the fact that this is happening uh, shows there isn't enough of a deterrent there. Uh, we've got to protect our our protectors, and I'm fully committed to to campaign for that and to uh, put pressure on to ensure that uh, our officers are kept safe. And Jamie, you said improving support for officers that have been assaulted um, is your top priority, and you said that on the first day in the job last September, which might seem a long time ago now, but it's something that was very, um, very much at the front of your thinking, and I'm assuming um, that's not changed. And, and uh, what people don't know is we um, are able to say this morning, some figures have been published today, that last year alone in Cheshire, just under 600 uh, assaults on police officers uh, took place. That's an extraordinary number, isn't it? And where do you stand on this? Yeah, it, it is an extraordinary number. I mean, you know, we're, we're getting into into the realms of nearly two two per day. Uh, and I, and I, 
don't believe that's the true number either because a lot of uh, assaults don't go reported. Um, and we also have to factor in things like hate crime against officers as well, which can be as harmful um, uh, to somebody's mental well-being a, a, as a physical assault. So we, we need to consider those as well. Um, you're right. I mean, uh, assault on, on my colleagues has been a, a top priority in terms of the support we give. Um, and I think in the last 12 months, we've, we've made some headway around that because we're recognising that this isn't just about physical injury. This isn't just about people being broken uh, when when they're assaulted. This is about the long-lasting mental injury that, that can occur. And also the, the financial detriment. You know, if, if an officer's off for a significant amount of time, they lose pay, they, they lose their, their enti- some of their entitlements. So, you know, we've done a lot of work around that in the past 12 months. Uh, we've done a lot of work in highlighting um, the need for um, the courts and, and the judiciary to, to be able to have a wider sentencing range. Um, I got asked the question recently, do I but do I think that everyone who assaults an emergency service worker should should go to prison? And and clearly the answer to that is is no, it's a case by case basis. It has to be a case by case basis. But the courts need the power there to be able to show the society and show the public that when someone does assault one of our emergency service workers, they're gonna support them and they're gonna send out a real strong message. With a, with a twelve month maximum sentence, that isn't there. That isn't there. These these cases very rarely go beyond the magistrate's court. Um, with a two-year sentence, we've got more chance of getting these before a judge in a crown court, which means those sentences can be passed uh, and, and and send out a much stronger message to the public. David, I'll, I'll just come back to you just just on that point, if if you don't mind. There was another statistic of you know more than eleven thousand people were prosecuted for assaulting an emergency worker in twenty nineteen, according to the Ministry of Justice. But only a quarter of those received an immediate custodial sentence the powers are in place now but those figures suggest they're not being used do you you have a view on there is a role for the courts here if they're given those powers isn't there Uh, there certainly is and i'd agree with jamie Uh, the numbers we're talking about is the tip of the iceberg and i think where we need to start with this is changing uh, the organizational culture of policing Um, to make sure that every one of these offences is reported, uh, to change the the nature of those in all emergency services, that being assaulted isn't part of the job. That isn't what they go out and get up that morning to to go out with. Uh, Families, uh, children, husbands and wives, um, mums and dads expect their family members to come back at the end of a shift. Um, And as soon as we accept any level of assault, we don't know the final outcome on that police officer, whether that's a a minor assault, a serious assault, or actually in those worst circumstances, it's a life and death situation. So I want to see the the culture changing of emergency service workers realising that it's not part of the job, to an increase in reporting, then to a, a changing culture in the police and CPS mentality that these things do need charging as if this was uh, primarily an assault uh, as we would treat it on any member of the public, but then with an aggravating factor because uh, they are an emergency service worker keeping the public safe. I would argue at the moment the culture isn't even there that we protect our officers or emergency service workers as well as if they're a member of the public because the culture is, this is part of the job. So there there isn't an aggravating factor there for me successfully at the moment. We don't treat our emergency service workers as well as we would a member of the public complaining. 
this is a cultural change as well as a legislative change and we've all got our part to play in that. Okay, uh, that like I said, that consultation is is ongoing at the moment. It's just started, so it's ongoing at the moment. And I, and I wanted to stick with the theme of of what the future of policing uh, might look like, and, and and move on to recruitment. In October, the Home Office confirmed how many officers it wanted to see added to the ranks in Cheshire during the first stage of a new uplift. That figure is ninety by the end of twenty twenty, uh, early stages of. 2021. Um, David, you said after that announcement that it would take a little bit of time before we see these officers on duty. How's the process going? Are you able to give us an update on on how Cheshire is getting on in terms of recruiting those numbers? Yes, uh, the the, the recruitment is taking place. Um, We we are getting there even through COVID um, with um, virtual interviews and assessment centres, etc., what I would really like to pick up on here, though, is it's a clear fact that these aren't additional extra officers. You know, if I take you back to 2010, you had 2,142 officers in Cheshire. Even with these 90 in, you'll have 2,136. So let, let's not pretend that these are uplift. These are replacement officers. You know, if I tell you the story... We started in 2010 with 2,142. By 2014, we were down to a few above 1,900. We lost nearly 250 officers. Uh, Let's not play the game that that this is an uplift. This is a minor replacement. It's the first government replacement of those numbers we've seen. Over the past few years, local taxpayers have backed me to increase the officer numbers. So in the last financial year, we got 43 extra officers because the local preset payers in their council tax paid for them. This is the first element of replacement that government have had since 2010. And it's not the right number. It's not enough and it isn't good enough. Policing in terms of demand and complexity through studies through professional bodies reckon that we've had a third increase in demand on policing within that 10 years. Uh, even with these replacement officers coming in, it doesn't give us the resource to police in the way that we need to. I would say we needed an extra thousand officers based on those studies to put us where we need to be in terms of demand. So we need to you know, blow away that smoke and remove the mirrors that the government uh, want to put in. In their numbers as well, they're including part-time officers whereas previously we always looked at full-time equivalent officers. Uh, The numbers are all smoke and mirrors. We've got less than we had in 2010, and we've got a third on top of the demand that we had in 2010. It's not good enough. Jamie, what what impact can can 90 new recruits have? But in the context of, of how David's just outlined... The picture it's probably fair to say there's a distance to travel then in, in, in just pure numbers alone but but can an initial uh, you know as a member of the public what impact am I going to see an initial 90 have am I going to am I going to notice uh, I, I hope so yes I mean you know uh, it, it's 
we're starting to see them come through now. It is going to take some time for them to, to be sort of boots on the ground almost. Um, I've met all the new recruits coming through. Um, we've got some real, real fantastic people who've joined, joined Cheshire Police and they will go on and have uh, amazing careers with us. But policing's changing uh, and David's absolutely right. The, the demands are changing. You know, we've got a lot more in terms of things like cybercrime. Um, certainly our responsibilities around safeguarding are, are very different to they were even 10 years ago. Um, and we should never lose sight as well of the bedrock of, of, of British policing, which is the community bobby. The, the bobby that's out there in the community who knows what's going on. Um, I'm hoping with, with these these officers who are coming in to take us back to the numbers uh, of, of sort of where we were 10 years ago, we can start investing a little bit more in community policing because the impact of that, you, you, you can't underestimate it. That that local knowledge, that that officer who, who knows what's going on in the streets, they know who's out there in the community, the community know who to go to when they have an issue. It, it's massively important. It actually prevents a lot of demand um, by having those officers out there. So I'm hoping that we can... Whilst we need to service the demand, whilst we need to um, manage the calls that are coming into us, we can be a little bit more proactive with the numbers that we're going to have coming in. Okay, David, can I bring you in on that? Yes, uh, I fully agree with Jamie about the benefits of community policing. Uh, The benefits are so far and wide and my uh, absolute commitment to keeping our communities safe and connecting our communities throughout the last couple of years have resulted in us delivering a PCSO in every ward uh, police community in Cheshire. Uh, We put a local community base in every local policing community in Cheshire. They're in shared buildings, but but fully signed up uh, in buildings like libraries, community centres, leisure centres, shops, etc. To build on that, this summer, we will be introducing a dedicated named face police officer for every community. Uh, for me, that brings back the, the real demand and desire uh, for local communities to have a Bobby on the beat. Their own geographic small community uh, that has that input from policing of the PCSO and the PC. Uh, that both dedicated. The amount of work, as Jamie said, that that can do in terms of prevention, in terms of dealing with issues of antisocial behaviour in communities, uh, in terms of getting the confidence of communities in policing. Uh, That's when we really connect and people feel safe. That's when we get the kind of real intelligence in that protects crime from perhaps even local petty crime, perhaps ASB, but actually as far up as intelligence on serious organised crime and perhaps even terrorism. That's why community policing is so important. And I believe Cheshire have completely booked the trend over the last few years. I don't think there's anywhere else in the country that can show the commitment that they have a, a local police base in every every local community with a dedicated offer and a dedicated PCSO. Uh, I'm really proud of what we've delivered there. And I'm really looking forward to what we can deliver over the next 12 months with that dedicated community policing model. Okay, now I appreciate, dear listener, this has been a little bit of a whistle-stop tour through kind of lots of issues that are ongoing at the moment. I'm going to close today with with one more uh, to ask the guys about. Um, this time last year, the then Home Secretary gave his backing to plans for the Police Federation to extend their support to special constables, which will give those volunteers the option of having the same protections as their colleagues. A new Police Protections and Powers Bill promised during the Queen's speech in December, shortly after the general election, and to be put 
to before Parliament later this year will hopefully make that possible. Um, Jamie, why is this important? And part two to the question, why has it taken us so long to, to kind of reach this point? Um, I, I think it's important that we recognise that, that um, special constables uh, are doing uh, the, the same job uh, as some of our regular officers. They're coming in in their own time. They're putting themselves in harm's way. They're helping us manage the demands that that is coming in, certainly within within Cheshire. Uh, I mean, just talking during the, the COVID period, the the amount of hours that, that our specials have volunteered has been absolutely eye watering. You know, six thousand hours a month uh, in some cases where they've come in, they've seen that that we we may need that support, and they've they've come in and done that. We ask a lot more of our specials now as well. It, it you know it used to be that they'd come in and just join join the response block and and you know uh, assist that way, but we're seeing a lot more specials who are getting involved in specialisms, working with our roads roads and crime unit, um you know talking of taser deployment things like that. It's important that they are supported because they're facing the same demands that regular uh, my regular colleagues are as well, um, and it is important that we give them the support. When something does happen, and they've got those protections there, uh, David, do you want to come in? Come in here. What's your position on this? Do you, do you welcome? Uh, and obviously, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the with the bill going through Parliament. But 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 do you welcome this possibility? Us, us reaching a point where we can give specials the option of 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 joining the federation. I absolutely uh, do support that, that option. Um, you know, J- Jamie will. Um, We'll be able to agree. Uh, he and I were talking about this before it was being considered at a national level. Um, I fully agree with, with with Jamie about the benefits and the protection the Federation membership offers. You know, we've got a fantastic Federation team there that support every police officer uh, in Cheshire. Um, our special constables uh, are no different, uh, apart from they do this um, in the spare time. Uh, as, as a volunteer, but with still the same pressures and the powers of a full-time police officer. So I feel that every officer should be protected uh, and supported uh, on a consistent basis. It's something we've we've lacked and we owe such a, a duty to our special constables. This isn't before its time. Uh, I've, I have responded very positively to the, the consultation uh, and I'm hoping uh, that these uh, these membership rights are granted uh, as soon as possible. They're, uh, they're frankly overdue. The Cheshire Police Federation podcast. And that brings us to the end of our August episode. It's here that I'll say how grateful I am to each of my guests, Jamie Thompson, Cheshire Police Federation Chairman, and Police and Crime Commissioner for Cheshire, David Keane, for their contribution. Thanks as well, of course, to our sponsors, Number One Copperpot Credit Union, for their continued backing. We'll be back again next month. Goodbye. <laughs>